Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of Matthew. Got your Bible? Somebody go, go share with Brother Edward right there. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Amen. We got, it. we got that spring break crowd this morning. If you don't see somebody in the house, vacation. But, uh, well, you know, vacation is good. Y'all know I like vacation. But uh, pray, pray for those that are out of town and that they may be back here safely. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you have it, give me an amen. Amen. And it says this, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord on the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. I like how the, the, the NLT says verse 38 goes with the, the sermon title. It says, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you for your people that are here this morning, Lord, who have come hungry. My God, spirits are hungry this morning, Father God. Souls are hungry, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that as we thirst and hunger for you, Lord, I pray that you provide, Father. You provide our, our, our daily dosage of that daily bread, my God, that is your word. And I pray that this morning that this word will speak into somebody's heart and somebody's mind, Lord. I pray that we open up our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, be on my lips that nothing is said this morning that is from me but of you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Praise God. You ready for the word this morning, church? Pastor Brandon, it's good to see you. Amen. I know, I know you're, without, uh, you're without your rib uh, this morning. Pastor, Pastor D is still in recovery. Continue to pray for them. Um, but it's good to see you here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with some friends, actually Pastor Danny and, and David. I think I had a, a separate occasion uh, with Pastor Brandon. And it was on the nature of discipleship. And the word disciple, I think we, we use it pretty broadly when we talk about disciples. We usually refer to all Christians as disciples of Jesus. And the technical definition of a disciple is, and I've, I've probably said this many, many times here, is a learner. A disciple is a learner. It's somebody who puts themselves under the studentship of another person. And discipleship, I think it, it comes, I think it comes in three phases. Um, and I've talked to our leaders actually recently about starting like a formal discipleship program out of NUMA because I think every church should be intentionally discipling others. That, that, is, what, that is what the church is called to do, to make disciples um, and so there's still a lot to think about and, and, and pray about. But if we look at scripture, I think we could support three different phases or layers of discipleship. I'm going I'm to tell them to you real quick. The first one is, is the word of God. 
you need to have a biblical foundation that is essential to Christian discipleship. It doesn't mean that you have to go to seminary. It doesn't mean that you've got to go to Bible school. But you need a good grasp of the word of God and its message if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus. You need to read the word and you need to understand what you're reading. And, and there's something real cool called Bible study, right? And, and, and you know what? Churches even offer Bible study it, for free. You don't have to pay anything. Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, we got Bible study. We got Bible study where we dive deep into the word of God and, and, and you're invited to ask questions. You're invited to, to learn the word of God. Amen. It's really important. Now, maybe you can't make Wednesday nights, but you're here Sundays. Praise the Lord for that. We teach the word. We preach the word. But you know what? Even, even without all of that, can I tell you that it's your job to learn the word of God? It is your job to build that foundation. And, and to learn the word, you have to engage with the word. You have to practice the word. You got to read it. You got to apply it. I, I, used to, I used to teach music, and I would, see, I would see students for like half an hour or, or one hour a week. And can I just tell you, if you're taking lessons for one hour a week or half an hour a week, you're probably not going to progress very quickly because it's an hour a week at most. If you're just taking that lesson and, and thinking that you're going to advance, you're not going to. And so the, the, the students that I had who uh, didn't progress were those who just came and they learned for about 30 minutes or an hour and then they went home. They didn't practice. They didn't, they didn't study. They didn't do anything. They came back the following week and they're like, I, I'm going to have to go over that lesson again because I already forgot what we studied. You could tell they didn't want it. The, the ones who wanted it were the ones who went home and, and they studied and they, they practiced and they came back ready to learn. And I mean, I, I would tell some of these people like, man, I'll, I'll take your money, bro. Happily, I'll take your money. If you want to pay me and, 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 you know, waste it, that's cool with me. But you are wasting your money. You're wasting your time. I'm just here to guide you. I'm just here to give you instruction to teach you. Um, as you go out and practice for yourself, I'm here to correct bad form. That's all I'm here for. And as, as pastors and as preachers and teachers, can I tell you that that is really our job. It's really, it, we're really here to just give you instruction. Maybe, maybe correct some bad form, some bad habits from the pulpit. But I can't build a biblical foundation for you. You have to do it. You have to do that. And so that's the first phase of discipleship is biblical foundation. Amen. The second phase comes in the form of character formation. I think churches for a long time, a long time, we have spent time only focusing on the biblical formation and not the character formation. And so this is why you have a lot of people who know the word, but their character isn't there yet. And, and they, they can teach you. Uh, biblical and theological truths, but they do it in a, in a hateful way, maybe an arrogant way, maybe a way to embarrass you, to make you feel inferior for not knowing what they know. Bi- uh, character formation is, is essential to discipleship. And if you look at the, the spiritual formation of Peter, he's a perfect example of somebody whose character was discipled. Peter, when he first came to Jesus, man, he was, he was a mess. He was a hothead. He had a temper. He just spoke his mind without thinking. He had no wisdom. He was immature. But Jesus developed and molded his character. The third phase of discipleship, and this is what I want to preach on this morning, is deployment for ministry. 
Once you have, once you have the biblical foundation, once you have the, the character formation, and that, that's not to say that there's a stopping point. There's always work to be done. But once those foundations are built, then the work begins. Somebody say work. You thought, man, it's Sunday. There's no work today. There's always work in the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus did with his disciples. He spent time instructing them biblically and, and then molding their character. And then he left them and he left them in charge to do what? Work. This means that a disciple isn't just a learner. That's the technical definition. But a disciple is also a worker. It's a worker. To be a disciple, it comes with certain implications. It implies that one day you will move from being just a learner to being a worker. When people ask you the question, what are you going to school for? The question is phrased that way because there is there's an assumption that one day you will be working in the field that you studied. So to be a disciple, yes, it requires a learning process. Before you can work, you have to know what you're doing. You have to learn the word of God. You have to learn some basic theology before you get up and preach a sermon and tell people Jesus is like God. He's not like God. He is God. You, you, you have to develop, some, you have to develop, uh, develop some, some spiritual formation before you can be in ministry. You have to learn how to control that temper. You have to learn how to control that tongue. You have to learn how to, how to react, not in haste, but in wisdom, because ministry requires all of those things. When it comes to the kingdom of God, you know, I, I love the eagerness from some people, man, uh, to, to begin working right away. And there's always something to do in the kingdom of God. Maybe you can't teach just yet or preach just yet or lead just yet, but there's always something to do. And I love it when somebody first comes to Jesus and they're just totally cool with doing anything. And they're like, Pastor, I mean, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll cut the lawn. I'll stack chairs. I'll make rice. There's always someone offering to make rice. I make rice. <laughs> Always somebody wants to make rice. Make rice. <laughs> Some of y'all go hard with the, with the rice making. There's, I, I love the eagerness from people to just begin working right away. But can I, can I flip that on you real quick? There's, there, there's also people who have been learners for so long without ever having doing work. So in a technical sense, you're a disciple of Jesus but you haven't completed what is expected from Jesus of his disciples. This is not going to be a feel-good sermon today. This, this, is, this is a message where the pastor is saying, get to work. Get to work because there is work to be done in the kingdom of God. There are people that are dying while we're having church right now as we speak. There are people that are brokenhearted right now while we are calling out to Jesus and raising our hallelujah. People need Jesus. There's work to be done. And when we look at the 12 disciples, they weren't just learners. They were workers. When we look at the 72 disciples who were sent out to preach in the cities, they weren't just learners. They were workers. So in this conversation I was having with these guys, I posed this question. I love just asking questions when I'm having conversation about the Bible, theology. It's just, it, just gets our, it just gets the juices flowing. And so I asked, is every Christian also a disciple? I mean, I think we have long thought that it, they were. 
if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. But I think the answer is no. I think we're all supposed to be disciples. But I don't think that we're all disciples just because we're in the kingdom of God. Given what the scripture teaches about discipleship, I think you can be saved by grace and not fulfill the role of a disciple. And that's because God doesn't require you to do work to enter his kingdom. That's the beauty of God. They, 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 say, they say that salvation is free. Discipleship is what costs you. And, and if, if so, if you get to the end of your life, never having received Jesus, never having served in the kingdom, never even having stepped foot into a church, and someone offers you salvation, you're on your deathbed, and they say, would you like to know Jesus? Would you like to accept him as your Lord and your Savior? And you say, yes, Jesus will receive you into his kingdom, not because of the work that you did for the kingdom, but because you accepted him as Lord and Savior. That's the beauty of grace. Somebody praise God for the grace, because even when you're too lazy to work, he gives you grace. But as believers who are not on their deathbed, you have fullness of life. You have hands and feet that work. You have mouths that work. I know some of y'all's mouths work. Your mouths work, your hands work, your feet work, your mind works, your heart works. You have a lot of things to give. You should be doing the work of a disciple. I think the most basic heart desire of any pastor should be to just introduce people to Jesus. At the very least, we want people saved. That's why we preach the gospel, because the gospel is what saves. This is why churches do salvation calls. We don't do discipleship calls, because at the very least, we want people to know Jesus. But that's also not an excuse for the church not to make disciples. I don't, I don't want a church filled with people who just consume Jesus and never do the work of Jesus. You know, the church has sometimes been depicted as an obese person. Just, just think about that for a second. The church, the bride of Christ, as an obese person. Where we're just sitting around and we're consuming and we're eating and we're taking, but we aren't active. We're not giving what has been fed to us. We treat Jesus as if, as if he's like a buffet restaurant. I don't know, I just started thinking about Golden Corral. Golden Corral, nasty. You know what's not nasty at Golden Corral? The rolls. The rolls go hard, bro. And you know, and you know there, there's some people, I, I, I figured it out. Some of y'all women who have big, uh, big uh, purses, y'all, y'all have those purses so that y'all can take rolls. I've seen my swagger do it, bro. I've, I, they, they do it. They do it. Like you go in and you're like, man, I'm going to eat all I can eat in here, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stash some rolls as well, and I'm going to take it out there. That's what we do when we come to church. We consume Jesus in here, and we take him out there. That's good. We say that all the time, but we're never giving what's been fed to us. We don't distribute what's been given to us. We fail to work. We fail to work. It's all I can eat. All I can get. We want to be Christians and receive Jesus, but we don't want to be disciples and give Jesus. The text says that Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion on them? 
because they were lost. He said they were like sheep without, without a shepherd. They were lost. Even though he was healing their diseases, even though he was healing their afflictions, even with that, Jesus saw a deeper problem. These people were cut off from fellowship with the Father. That breaks my heart sometimes. When I'm out and I just see a sea of people lost. Lost. We went to New York last year. And New York's the biggest city in America. There's tons of people. You can barely move sometimes in certain places. And it's, it's a, I, I enjoyed my time there in New York. But I remember seeing so many people wondering how many of them have Jesus. How many of them are lost in this world right now? How many people think they've got it all figured out? How many people are relying on their financial security, but they, they don't have salvation security? How many people are lost right now? That's what Jesus looked at. He was looking at the crowds, and he realized, man, these people are cut off from the Father. These people are going to hell. And that broke his heart, and he had compassion. And he knew that he could heal all of their diseases, all of their afflictions, but if they still had a heart problem, that healing was only temporary. Can I tell you this morning today, maybe you don't have Jesus, but Jesus wants to do work on your heart that is eternal. He doesn't just want to put a Band-Aid on it. He doesn't just want to fix it for a little bit. He doesn't want to just give you a little bit of provision because your bank account is suffering right now. He doesn't want to just, just give you a healing because you're sick. He wants to heal your heart because he wants to take you into forever with the Father. That's what he cares about. And so Jesus looks at the crowds and he says, there's a lot of work to be done. The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of it, but the workers are few. I know, I know it's a little late to introduce the title of my sermon, but it's in the field. In the field. Jesus spoke in parables a lot. And a lot of times he depicted the kingdom of God as a field or, or a vineyard in which laborers are needed. Matthew 13 talks about a man who sowed good seed in the field. Every, every field needs working. It needs harvesting, it needs sowing, it needs reaping. The land needs cultivated. There's so much to do in the field that is the kingdom of God, but too many of us are just content being in the field and not working it. I'm good in the field, but you're going to put me to work? I thought, I thought being a Christian meant Resting on the Lord. <laughs> I thought you gave me rest. I thought your yoke was easy. There's work to be done. And if we look at the church today and, and we compare it to what Jesus was working with, I mean, I think we've come a long way, right? I mean, Jesus literally, he had, he had John the Baptist. And then there was a time before he even had the 12 disciples. And he was, he was starting to preach and teach and do, do some healings. And then he got the 12. And he called them to be his disciples. And then he sent them out. He gave them authority. And then more disciples were formed. And then Jesus uh, gets to the end of his stay here on earth. And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to make disciples. And make them of all nations. Everywhere. 
And make sure that you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to bring unity into the kingdom of God. And they do that. And the church spreads. And it, and it makes its way east. And then it makes its way west. And before you know it, most of the world knows the name of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And today we've got churches everywhere. We've got missionaries all over the world. Christians have a very large influence on our world and on our culture. The fact that, that celebrity pastors are a thing should tell you something. It's not necessarily a good thing, but it at least tells you that there's popularity in the name of Jesus. And so we think, well, Jesus, you would be proud. But would you believe me if I told you that, that the workers are still few, even though there are over a billion Christians around the world? We've got a lot of Christians. We don't have enough disciples. We don't have enough people willing to do the work. Just look at your average local church, with the exception of Numa, right? We're exceptional. But they say, they say on average, they say on average 20% of the church does 80% of the work. That means that 80% of the church is only doing 20% of the work. So what does that look like? Maybe 20% of the people in church are the ones doing the giving, are the ones doing the discipling, are the ones doing the ushering, are the ones doing the volunteering, are the ones doing the preaching, are the ones doing the teaching. And then 80% of the church is only doing the attending. Eighty percent of you don't want to say amen this morning. (laughs) There are a lot of Christians, but only a few workers. I'm I'm only half kidding about Numa, man, being the exception. I I really do believe that we step up. Our people step up, man. We, we, We are servers. But I think that's been intentional because you have to be intentional about doing the work of God because it's work. Nobody wants to do work. The majority of Christians only like to play in the field that they were called to work. Can I tell you that I don't think we have a deficit of churches? I think we have a surplus of churches. I think think we have too many churches. That's why so many churches are empty. Because there's more supply than there is demand. Everybody wants to start a church. And, And if that's your calling... Be obedient. But there's some people who just start churches because the last three churches that went to didn't end well. Now, you know what? I'm just going to do things my way. And so we have a lot of little kingdoms being formed. When we were called to work one kingdom, that is the kingdom of God. I don't think we have a deficit of Christians or Christian music. That man, I, I know, I know non-believers who listen to Christian music. We went to a concert this past weekend. Me, me and Angel, my, my uncle David hooked up, hooked up the tickets for us. It was at Toyota Center, and I remember, I just man, there's, I, I get emotional when I am a, in a room full of Christians worshiping God. It's beautiful, man. And I, and I turned around, I mean, at, I mean, there's thousands of people there just, just glorifying, lifting up the name of Jesus. And I got emotional, started crying, man, because I'm like, this is so beautiful. This is what heaven is like. We don't, we don't have a deficit of Christians. We don't have a deficit of Christian music. We don't have a deficit of Christian resources. If you want to learn the word of God, if you want to learn something about theology, there, there, there is no... 
There's nowhere that you can't find a good resource on it. But when you compare the amount of Christians to the amount of workers, you see that the workers are few. And my challenge to to you today, it's not even... It's not even as a pastor. You know, of course, pastors want, you know, their, their church to, to serve. And I would love it if, if you're not already serving to serve. But just as a fellow believer, man, work the field. Work the field. I don't know how you're going to work the field. I don't know what you're called to, but work the field because the harvest is plentiful. There's something to do. And it might not even be in the church. Jesus didn't look in the church and said the the workers are few in the church. He looked at the field. He looked at the lost. And he says there are not enough people here tending the sheep. I used to work for my uncle's painting business years ago. And I worked with my two older cousins. And they always gave me a hard time because they were my older cousins. And because I sucked at my job. Sucked. I was not, the Lord did not call me to any type of construction work. And, and I knew that I sucked. And so I was afraid to do anything because I thought that I was, I was going to do it wrong. I thought I was going to mess it up. I didn't want to touch a paintbrush. Because every time I dip the paint, I get it somewhere, you know, everywhere but the wall. <laughs> and so I, I was not confident in that line of work. Sometimes I'd just be standing around doing nothing. I would, I would work these, we would work these commercial jobs where the, where, where the work van was like, you know, it was like four minutes, five minute walk. Sometimes I would just walk over there to the van. I get there, it'll take about five minutes. I open the van and I would pretend to look for something. Where's that thing? Where's that thing? And I'd be like, I can't find it. And I go back and I'd be like, this, where's that thing? Not, not looking for any, just trying to look busy because I didn't want to mess something up. And then, and then my cousin tells me, he says, Ryan, there's always something to do. There's always something to do. He said, maybe, maybe it's not painting. He's like, I'd rather not be painting. <laughs> but can you lay some drop cloths on the floor for the pe- that the people are going to paint? Can you, can you pick up some trash? Can you uh, sweep where you see a little bit of a mess? Can you carry the paint buckets in, uh, in, into where we're working? Can you at the very least hold the ladder? Do some, There's always something to do. There's always something to do. And maybe you're like that when it comes to the kingdom of God. Maybe you hesitate because you're unsure of yourself. You don't want to do something and do it wrong. You don't want to give somebody the wrong advice if they're asking you a Bible question. Or, or a question about, about God or a question about life and, and, and they're asking you for spiritual advice and you're like, I'd rather not say anything because what if I destroy your life with the advice I give you? And so you rather just shut up and not say anything. You'd rather not work and not do anything because you're not confident in yourself. Just find something to do because there's always something to do. There is always a person in need of Jesus. There is always a broken heart that needs the love of Christ. There's always someone just to be invited to church. You know, sometimes, sometimes people tell me things that they're going through, and I have no idea what to tell them. Not a clue. I, I have given pastoral counseling to, to people who were sexually abused, who, who, uh, who, whose friend was just murdered. I mean, what do you say? I don't know what to say to that. 
And so it's tempting to not say anything. It's tempting to not say anything because what you're going to give them might just be so shallow. But there's always something to do. There's always something to say. Maybe I don't know what to say, but I can at the very least point them to the one who knows. And that's what I have resulted to do anytime I don't know what to say. And I would encourage you, because you're a Christian, and people are going to go to you just because they know that you're a Christian, and, they, and you have something special. You have God. I, I'm going to tell you, the world sees you as something special. Those who don't hate you, they see something special in you. They say, oh, my cousin goes to church. He knows God. He's got a good relation with God. It looks like he turned his life around. I'm going to go to, I'm going to call him. I don't know who else. There's people out in the world who don't have a pastor. They don't have a church. They don't have Christians in their life. You might be the only one and they're going to you and you're not going to say anything. There's always something. There's always something to do. It could be the smallest thing. It could be like, I don't know how to help you. But come to church with me on Sunday. We'll pray with you. It could be, look, I don't know how to help you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you into a prayer right now. Just let me lead you into a prayer. And, 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 and you might wor- be worried because you're like, well, I, don't, I don't know how to pray. It doesn't have to be eloquent. The other day, we were in the car, and Layla was complaining that she wasn't feeling good. And Ellie said, I'll pray for you, sissy, and started leading her in a prayer. A three-year-old can do that. We can all do that. There's always something you can do in the kingdom of God. You're not expected to have all the answers, but you know the one who has all the answers. You know the one who heals. You know the one who does miracles. No one is expecting you to be Peter or Paul. I want you to hear me this morning because I'm. this message is, is a straight up challenge. I know it is. But I want to tell you that no one is expecting you to be Peter or Paul. You know, when we look at the New Testament, it would seem that different levels of discipleship call for different responsibilities. No other group of disciples was like the 12 disciples. No other group. They were always with Jesus. They had to leave everything behind. They had to be committed more to this ministry than their own families. More was asked of them. When Jesus sent out the 72 into the cities, they had to be prepared not to be paid. They had to expect hostility. They weren't even sure where they were going to sleep or if they were going to eat. That is a different level of discipleship than many of us are used to. Jesus invited this man to be a part of his discipleship group, right? He says, follow me. And the man says, Lord, first, let me bury my father. And you know what Jesus says? He says, let the dead bury the dead. How many of us would be uber offended by that? I would be. I would be. You mean I can't bury my loved ones? You're not even going to let me say goodbye and mourn the loss of my father? Jesus said, well, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to hate mama and daddy and abuela and tío and tía and all of them. That's what he said. And I mean, hate not in the sense of hatred, But hate as in the sense of you have to choose one or the other. The the, the 12 disciples were always on the go. 
That was so much was required of them. There was no, hey, Jesus, can we stop in Galilee so I can see my girlfriend? <laughs> nope. There was no, hey, can we stop here in Bethlehem? I got, a, I got an uncle. We can stay there. Nah. Nah, we, we, got, we, we got places to be. Jesus told his disciples, you are my family. There, there, was a, there was a point in scripture where the disciples say, hey, look, Jesus, it's your brothers and your sisters. They're over there. Let's go say hi to them. And Jesus is like, mm, you guys are my family. That's hardcore. That's not the Jesus that we preach. To be a disciple of Jesus, it meant not putting anything before the mission, not even family. So this whole first, let me bury my father, Jesus said, no, first is the mission. We are not those type of disciples. And maybe you're called to be that. And praise God, we're going to support you. If you are in this room, I want you to make it known so that we can start a, a ministry fund for you. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding because that, that is a special type of calling that not even me as a pastor am called to. I got my family. I'm married. Some of you, you're married. You have kids. You have jobs. You cannot be 24-7 in the mission field. You have other responsibilities. You have to tend to your family. If the Apostle Paul had been married and had kids, he would have not been a good dad. Because his ministry required 100% of his time. Or he would not have been a great apostle. You see what I'm saying this morning? The apostle Paul, if he had kids, and this is why he, this is why he said, I wish all y'all could be like me. He said, I wish all y'all could be celibate. Because you can get a lot done without the old ball and chain, right? <laughs> That's the message version. <laughs> but, I mean, imagine, imagine, if, imagine if Paul had kids, you know? What would Paul Jr. say? Oh, my dad's always locked up. <laughs> always like, he's always in prison for doing something. He's always in trouble with the law. He's always going up against these philosophers and these Jewish leaders. I mean, he can't just calm down. Like, come on, man. I want to see you. He hasn't been around for my birthday and I don't know how long. <laughs> That's what we call deadbeats. <laughs> what, would, what, what would the missus say? What would the missus say? I mean, my husband, he's always out there doing God's work, barely gets paid. So we had to start this tent business, but he doesn't pay attention to it because he's always in jail. And so the only thing that we get from the tent business is a tent to stay in. I mean, we're not all called to that level of ministry. But there's always something to do in the kingdom of God. Your workplace is in the field. Your family is in the field. Your church is in the field. Your community is in the field. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. When Jesus reaffirms Peter, can I get, can I get some keys, Jason? Those beautiful keys that you play. 
When Jesus reaffirms Peter, remember Peter denied Jesus three times. What is, what is the challenge that Jesus gives him? He says, he asks him a question, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Okay, if you love me, tend my sheep. If you love me, do the work that I've called you to do. If you love me. We have a lot of Christians who love the Lord. I don't know any Christian who doesn't love the Lord. You got to love the Lord to be a Christian. But how many of us are actually doing the work that comes with loving the Lord? Peter found himself in this, in this brief moment of shame, loving the Lord, but he had abandoned the work. He went back to, to his fishing business. He went back, he, he, he stopped being the apostle Peter. He was going to refocus his life. He denied Jesus. So I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing before. And Jesus finds him. He says, I know you love me, Peter. If you love me, do the work. Do the work, Peter. And how many of us in this room love Jesus? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to raise your hand because you know what I'm going to say next. But I think all of us love Jesus. There is work to do. There is work to do. There is work to do. And I know that this message, I preach it very, very often. It's like one of the messages that is just like always on my heart because there is a world that is dying and we have so many Christians. We have so many, like, like think of the work that can get done. Think of the people that could receive Jesus all of the Christians became disciples of Jesus and did the work. I remember this gentleman who used to work at Walmart. And he was, uh, he was one of the greeters in, in the front. You know those greeters who, you know, they, they greet you and they, they're really there to make sure you don't steal anything, right? And they check your bag. We, we figured it out, right? But he was there. He was, uh, he's always at Walmart. Every time I would go to Walmart. I don't go to Walmart that much. I'm too bougie. I go to Target. But every time I go to Walmart, he's there. He's there. And I love this guy because he's always got a smile on my face, on, on his face. And he's always, he's, always, he's always singing and he's always just joyful. And, and he's always saying things like, uh, God bless you. And, and Jesus loves you. He was an older man. Jesus loves you. He says, God is good. He reminds me of you, Brother Edward. It's always, God is good. And Jesus loves you, young man, he says. One time I, I, I was walking out. I said, sir, can I, let me check your bag, sir. I was like, all right. And I asked him, how you doing today? He says, oh, I'm blessed. I'm just out here doing the work of the Lord. I wanted to look around and be like, you're at, you're at Walmart. You're doing the work of the Lord at Walmart? This, this man probably had no, no formal education. Probably didn't have a stellar res- resume. He wasn't looking to be in the spotlight. He had to work. But he wanted to also do the work of his father. And so with every little thing that he could say, Jesus loves you. 
Have a good day. God bless you. God is good. I would like to think that someone walking out the door one day, going through something, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of trial, and this man so full of joy says, remember, Jesus loves you. I like to think that they they were so blessed that day. Just by simple words. The the equivalent of just holding a ladder. There's always something to do. And you have something great. You have something powerful. Use it. Take Jesus in here. Get, get, Get filled in here. Worship God in here. Take Jesus out there into your home. But don't just keep it. That song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, let's, let's slow it down, Brother Ed. Let's slow it down. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. One more. One more time. Ready? Come on. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, come on, we saying, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Little light of mine, come on. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Come on, church, come on, come on. This little light of mine, come on. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of I was not planned. I wasn't planned. I still had more of the sermon. (laughs) I want to close it out with this verse. It's found in Ephesians 4. You can stay, stay standing. On Pastor's Day last year, we had a guest pastor, Pastor Abram. And he came and he gave this word. And I want to read this verse to you. It says, and he gave the apostles... The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip 
the saints. Who are the saints? We are the saints. To equip the saints for the what? For the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Not all are called to apostolic ministry. Not everybody's called to the prophetic ministry or to a pastoral ministry, but the saints are called to serve. You're called to serve. The word ministry is the Greek word diakonia, which means service. We are called to serve in the body of Christ. And if you love Jesus, he's inviting you this morning to serve. He's inviting you to work. He's inviting you to speak the name of Jesus. He's inviting you to be a light. The only way churches grow is when churches go. A church that grows is because you have a church that goes and finds and brings in introduces them to Jesus. Your job is not to save anybody. You can't save anybody. But you know someone who can. Do the work of the disciple. God is calling you this morning to do the work of the ministry. Don't just hold on to Jesus. Don't just hold on to Jesus. Let me tell you something this morning. You are, you are stronger than you think. If you have Jesus, you are stronger than you think. Because you have the rock of salvation. You have the rock of salvation. And sometimes you doubt yourself because you're like, what am I going to say? I can't say anything. I, I just stumbled last week. Someone who's worse off than you. And you have the answer. Jesus. Church, I want to just encourage you to work the field. Work the field. Work the field. Why don't you close your eyes this morning? I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for this word, Holy Spirit. My God, I pray, Lord, that this would fall on fertile ground, Lord. My God, I, I pray that this would be a word, Lord, not from me, but from you, Father God. I pray that you are convicting someone this morning, Lord, to speak to that person at work who has been telling me about their problems. Give me the courage, God. Give me the boldness, God, to speak Jesus. Even if it backfires on me, Lord, give me the boldness. Give me the courage, my God. Give me the boldness, my God, to tell my family about you. Give me enough love, Lord, to be able to speak truth even if it hurts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do some convicting this morning. Right now, Holy Spirit. Right now. Why don't you lift up your hands? Come on, can we just do that? Lift up your hands this morning. Holy Spirit, see our hearts this morning. See our surrendering this morning. I pray that you begin to speak into somebody's life right now. Speak into somebody's life right now, Lord. 
take hold of our hearts, my God. Break our hearts. Break our hearts for the things that break yours, my God. Let us see people with compassion, my God. The people that we love, the people that we know who don't know you, my God. I pray that when we look at them, Father God, our heart cries. Give us your eyes, God. Give us your eyes, Jesus. Give us your eyes, Jesus. Let us be the voice. Let us be the hands. Let us be the feet, Jesus. I want to do a quick altar call this morning. If you just, if you need prayer, if you, if you just want to worship up here this morning, I'm going to have the worship team sing, but I want you to just come as we glorify the name of Jesus, as we have a moment with Jesus. Let this be your personal moment with God this morning. Come on, you're invited this Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.